This week on the big show, the star films such as Belle, Beyond the Lights, and Beauty and the Beast, Gugu Mabatha Raw, will be our special guest. In addition, the founder of Film Fest DC, Tony Gittens, will also join us to preview this year's fest. Plus, we'll have entertainment news and reviews, including Fast Color. All on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Welcome to a action-packed version of our show today. As you heard in our opening, man, we've got double guests today. The beautiful, lovely Gugu Mabatha Raw will stop by a little later on in the show to talk to us about her new film, Fast Color, which we will review at the end of the show. And uh, old friend Tony Gittens will stop by. His, his festival, Film Fest DC, is ready to launch in a week here in the nation's capital. And we want to find out of those 80 films that he has going on. Um, of course, Wilson Morales will join us uh, shortly. But before we get there, um, I just want to open today's show up by saying that this is a very emotional and special week for me because it was three years ago this weekend that we lost Prince Rogers Nelson. And we lost him literally while I was on the air doing a show. And mm. I'll never forget how it just changed the mood immediately. Like, wow, man, 57 years old. This brother's legacy continues to grow. Um, yeah, I, There's nothing that I can add to, to Prince and who Prince was and what his music meant to all of us. Um, so, yeah, uh, April 21st. This weekend, it'll be three years that we lost Prince. Secondly, the other big news of the week, Game of Thrones debuted on Sunday. Um, all I can say is, it, judging by that first episode, them last five episodes, people are going to die. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. I love this show, man. So can't wait for, for Game of Thrones this Sunday. And while we're talking Game of Thrones, I'm going straight to Gotham to the man who went to the premiere, swore he couldn't tell us anything because HBO would have had him by the short and, and curlies. But Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com, I saw you put the pictures up, man, for episode two, man. What have you seen this yeah. thing yet, Wilson? Have you seen it? I've not seen it like I've not seen it like everybody uh, else. I guess uh, uh, you know we were good enough to be treated to see it early enough at the uh, premiere, and then uh, now we're all in the same boat, so which is great. Sometimes you know uh, uh, you need this between Game of Thrones, us, Avengers, Endgame. You need something that's going to make you want to just wait till it comes out. You know, yeah. where it's an event. We're getting too much product, whether it be on TV or in films. Like this week, we got a slew of films coming out. So, you know, the question is, do you really want to go out and see it, or are you going to wait for it to hit DVD or digital and so forth? So when you have a Game of Thrones, you have something on Sunday night that you look forward to because no one has seen any of these episodes in advance. We're all part of the press, you know, so, like, it's great that we're all in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, man, um, but, but again, Game of Thrones I thought was epic on Sunday night, and uh, everybody was hosting Game of Thrones watch parties and, you know, everybody had a theory. You know, it was funny. I was listening to people, man, such and such. I was like, dude, 
If you know anything about Game of Thrones, wait for episode five. The, the fifth episode of the season, all hell's going to break loose. It's the it's the way of the thrones, man. But go ahead, Wilson. What do you have, man? Because it's not about me giving my theories, man. You're giving us what's going on in entertainment this week. But no, you know, we, we spoke about Game of Thrones. Obviously, we know it's going to, hopefully, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, and that's the, the beauty of it is that, you know, we're anticipating, we know there's going to be death. The question is who's going to die, when are they going to die, and how are they going to die? <laughs> you right, know, right, so right. that will be part of the whole Monday morning conversation. For this week, obviously, we have a slew of films coming out, you know, because everybody knows that you want to make as much money as before you get evaporated by game by Avengers Endgame. So you have, as you mentioned, you're going to have Fast Color, uh, which stars three leading black ladies on the screen. You have Tessa Thompson out in Little Wood, directed by a female black director. You know, you've got a slew of stuff that, you know, everybody's trying to make their uh, their connections with. But even next week, you're going to have, I think by the time you air next week, uh, we would have seen the final episode of Being Mary Jane, uh, you know, which is Gabrielle Union, so she's going to obviously do a new series, which is the spinoff of Bad Boys. You know, so there's a lot of things that everybody has coming up. And then you have next week the Tribeca Film Festival coming up. So there are a slew of things that everybody's trying to do before the topic turns to Avengers. Because even with Avengers, just as much as we're talking about Game of Thrones now, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know anything about Avengers. You know, I think from what I've been hearing... All the little really, all the we we don't we don't know seen. anything, Wilson. We don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> all the snippets that we've seen, uh, from what I heard of the Avengers, are all part of the beginning of the movie, which is, means nothing when you know the movie's three hours long. All right, all right. Let me just jump in for a second. They released a TV spot a couple of days ago. That TV spot is two minutes and like forty seconds. Now, and you don't really get much in there. But, 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 but it wasn't about me getting much. The thing that I got that I thought Marvel was brilliant with this spot is that it literally connected every movie, and they showed every movie from start to finish, and it shows you, and as I've been telling people, how much of a cinematic achievement this is that Kevin Feige and the, and the brain trust over at Marvel sat in a room in 2006, 2007, and mapped out this 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 universe that before they did it, Wilson, it didn't exist. Nobody had well, a, a universe of that kind. Well, you know, it, it takes uh, you know, it takes creative genius to know and be patient with it. You know, and obviously, the fans have embraced it. You know, they've embraced changes from the comic books to the big screen. You know, and uh, I think and to keep the actors in it. You know. Uh, when you look, whereas you know, you look at what DC has been doing. You know, we've got so many people playing Superman, Batman. You know, it's kind of chaotic there. And when you look at Fox, even though they've had X Men films left and right, those films are never really consistent with one another. You know, so to see what Marvel has done is is a crowning achievement. You know, so so that's good. Indeed, man. So um, now you're gonna you get you get to see it like early next week, right? With the rest of us. Well, no, I think. I think no. Like I guess we are all the premieres on Monday the twenty second. I guess for most of us, the all media is on the twenty third. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I cannot wait. Matter of fact, well, you and I need to have a conversation because any movie that's three hours and two minutes long, man, you got to manage. You know, the restroom breaks. When do I eat? How does that play out? So we don't. You're not sitting there uncomfortable. You can't get up in the middle of the movie. So um, we don't have many of these three hour kind of uh, event films, man. This is a big one, man. I think the last one I can remember, Wilson, might have been Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And that was back in 03. But see, that was kind of based on a book, so you kind of knew where it was going to go. It's just a matter of whether or not the execution plays out. 
Okay, and you're saying this one is different. We know where this is going, too. Well, we don't know. We, we don't know how these things are going to play out. We know, obviously, because these Disney Plus is going to have certain series on some of the characters that, yes, these characters are going to live. But we don't know how it's going to play out with the others and how many, maybe how many new characters are going to be introduced. Oh, man. Well, you know, man, um, I'm going to have to give you a call uh, so we can talk about it a little bit because I'm, I'm already geeking, man, because I was sitting there watching that teaser trailer going, oh, my God, show it to me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Wilson. Anything else? What should we be looking for after this, man? I mean, you know, we've been we've spent the know. last Thank month, you. man, like uh in game, in game, in game. You know, I don't know. It's like Endgame is going to determine what's going to be the next best thing to see. You know, we've got a slew of a lot of comedy films from uh, the Mindy Kaling film that played at Sundance to Longshot. You know, we don't know what the next big blockbuster is going to be. You know, it's, it's always the series, like, which one is going to underperform, which one's going to overperform. You know, we don't know. You know, just like when Black Panther came out, every other film that came out afterwards did underperform because Black Panther was that good. So we don't know what Avengers is going to do to everybody coming up after them. Well, you, you know what Avengers is going to do to all of those movies in the month of May? Destroy the wall. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a snap of the finger at the box office because that's all anybody's going to want to see. And you remember, the opening weekend is nearly sold out. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of people that don't get an opening weekend that'll be flooding the theaters in weeks two and three to see mm-hmm. this, as well as repeat customers who've seen it once who want to see it again. Uh-huh. So, yeah, man, it's yeah. going to be huge. Now, the only thing, Wilson, that, to, in my estimation, that keeps this movie from literally uh, obliterating the opening box office record, it's its runtime. If they had this movie at, say, 245, I think it would just smoke all movies, man, and, like, put that benchmark out there. But three minutes, I mean, I mean, some three minutes, three hours is pretty difficult, man, because you could probably only show that thing in a house maybe max five times. Well, before I let you go, what I'll say is this, you know, I'm sure there have been some movies that have been out the last two weeks that have not performed. And if you're at a theater or a theater manager, you're going to say, well, this one is not making 50% of its audience. So, like, we can take this out at this point right now, put Avengers in, and we're going to get 75 to 80%. Correct, and that makes perfect sense, man. So you're right, and I think that much like when Black Panther dropped and uh, there's that famous shot on Instagram at the Archlight where they had Black Panther playing in 13 houses, I easily yeah. will see that duplicated with Endgame this exactly. weekend. So, Wilson, mm-hmm. man, uh, before we let you go, man, let people know where they can follow you to read the brilliant content that you produce on a daily basis. Yeah, you can find me over at blackfilm.com, which is the same words for Twitter, Facebook, as well as Instagram. All right, my brother. Enjoy your lunch, man, and keep doing what you're doing, man, and we'll talk next week. Okay. All righty. Of course, we that was Wilson Morales who joins us uh, at the top of every show. Um, I'm going to bring in Charles Kirkland right now. Charles, uh, you heard what Wilson said, man, about Endgame. Um, I'm not going to say we know what uh, is going to happen, but but – you know, just judging by what we know about the contractual situations of what Marvel's trying to do with Disney Plus and some of the other things, you know, I mean, have a general idea of where they're going in the in, well, the, in this movie. But well, the general idea doesn't mean we know where the story's going. We know who some of the players may or may not be. Right. Right. Uh huh. And and not like Return of the King, like he, like Wilson said before. This is a. They've kind of strayed from what they've done in the comic book. So it's been kind of a guide as far as what the outcome of this is going to be. But we kind of all know what it's going to be as far as who survives, who leaves, who stays or whatever. 
Um, so it's just how it's going to play out is what we're looking for. Man, I, I'm going to tell you something, man. The last time I was this excited for a movie was literally another Marvel movie was Black Panther. I, I remember... The the, 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 the the sitting in the theater to watch Black Panther the first time and sitting there going, oh my God, this is going to be good. And before that, The Dark Knight. I kind of feel like I'm even more hyped for this movie than I am for Black Panther because I didn't want to be hyped for Black Panther. I just wanted it to be good. I didn't want to overhype my expectations for the movie. Right. I'm, I'm kind of overhyped for Endgame and... Uh, I don't know. Well, that's a, that's a really good point. I think what I felt when I saw Black Panther is that I knew Black Panther culturally would be an important film. Right. It was the first time we'd had that. We, you know, it is peeking to this world of Wakanda. We knew Ruthie Carter. Ruthie Carter. We saw this cast. Right. So I went in with like really high expectations, and the film exceeded my expectation. But as it relates to The Dark Knight and Return of the King, Return of the King, I was super hyped for because I knew it was the end of this chapter. We had been following along for two years with Frodo and Samwise Ganchi and the, and the rest of the crew. Gan, I mean, yeah, Gandalf yeah, and all Gandalf. those cats. And Dark Knight, I was hyped for a different reason because uh, I think I shared a story that I spent like months talking to the rep from Warner Brothers and, that, and the rep was like, Tim, you ain't seen nothing like this before. Wait till you see this movie. Right. They kept telling me over and over. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and they kept rolling out trail after trail. I was like, oh, this is going to be hype. So it, it is. It was. And it was. All right, man. Well, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back on the other side, it's going to be time to talk to the lovely Gugu Mabata Raw. You guys keep it where you got it. You're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon here at 96.3 HD4. And that's DCRadio.gov. Welcome back to our show. Coming up a little later on, we will have reviews for of the films that are being released this week. But right now, online with us, um, I will just basically say that she is a four-time Black Real Award nominee and winner mm-hmm. for her breakthrough performance in Bell. In addition to her multifaceted performance in films such as Beyond the Light, Miss Sloan, and Beauty and the Beast, Google Mubasa Raw received rave reviews for her work in the Emmy Award-winning episode of Black Mirror's San Junipero. Her latest mm-hmm. film, Fast Color, is a sci-fi thriller about a woman who possesses supernatural ability and those who seek to control her gift and, by extension, her. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show an actress whose work we've admired for a while, Google Mubasa Raw. Welcome to the show, young lady. Thank you so much for having me. What an intro. <laughs> well, you know, hey, I figured, you know, I've been watching your movies and digging on you for a while and these performances. You were owed that intro. Oh, thank you so much. 
All right. Well, let me just jump right in it now. Um, you've dabbled, uh, as I've seen in the past, in sci-fi, as I talked about in the Black Mirror episode. But in mm. Fast Color, your character is a woman who has special gifts. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about the appeal of bringing that type of character to the big screen? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, when I first read the script for Fast Color, it was just so refreshing to me. Um, you know, it does have these sci-fi elements to it, but it's also focused on relationships and these three generations of women, um, and them finding their power. So that was really appealing to me. And it was just um, like nothing I'd ever read before. You know, I loved the fact that Ruth was a real woman. You know, there were no sort of capes or um, suits you know, that we are used to seeing with super powered women. Um, you know, she was grounded. She was struggling with addictions. She's, you know, in recovery. Um, she's not perfect. She has flaws. Um, and I loved the complexity of that, you know, and the fact that she's sort of wrestling with these powers that, you know, initially she doesn't know how to control. And it's really only through connecting with the other women in her life, her, her mother and her daughter, that she's able to, you know, center herself and really come into her full power. No, I absolutely agree with you. Now, one of the other things that I loved about this film is there are some amazing scenes between you and your mother in the film played by Lorraine's mm. son. Uh, what was it like sharing the screen with not just a Trini actress uh, who's yeah. a veteran, but also what yeah. I call a, an acting force of nature? Yeah. I mean, Lorraine is incredible. You know, she brings such gravitas to the screen. I think I first saw her in uh, Ava DuVernay's film, uh, Middle of Nowhere. And, um, you know, she's so experienced. She's incredibly soulful. She really was the matriarch of the set. I mean, she just inhabited that role so effortlessly. Um, and, you know, I, I met her before we started shooting. We were both in New York for different projects and, you know, talking to her about this mother-daughter dynamic, you you know, she has a, a daughter herself, you know, and I was an only child, you know, brought up mostly by my mom. So, you know, we really both could um, relate to the intensity of that bond. Um, and yeah, she's she's just, she's a force. And, and it was it was such a, a treat to work with her and Sanaya as well, Sanaya Sidney, who plays my daughter in the film. Right, right, right. Now, I talked earlier about, you know, the woman, you, you know, your character is a woman who possesses a gift that certain mm. people seek to harness for their own selfish purposes, which, yeah. of course, don't align with your character. Now, in addition, Google, there are also generational elements that you talked about with your daughter in the film that further enhance the story. Now, do mm. you see any parallels between this family, this strong family of women, and the emergence in cinema of a variety of strong and diverse women of power in the, in the, in the film industry that continues to grow? Yeah, I mean, we're at such an exciting point in the industry. You know, I think obviously now everyone has so much more awareness about diversity, you know, representation, uh, intersectionality in terms of what that means for women and women of color. Um, and, you know, to be able to see that in this film, you know, it wasn't something that we intentionally um, wanted to make an issue of the story. It's not a about race. You know, this, this film really is um, about 
something that almost transcends that. But it's, um, for me, you know, undeniably uh, important to have, you know, women of color at the center of, of a world that has been very much, you know, traditionally male dominated. And, um, you know, I think Julia did that very much on purpose, you know, seeing us out there in the desert, you know, in this almost Western style, you know, mm-hmm. male iconography. Uh, and also, you know, the different gifts that women have, you know, making powers that are not destructive, that they really are creative and, and the ultimate superpower, which is, you know, giving birth to another human being. I mean, how incredible is that? Right. <laughs> you know, right. we take right. that right. for granted, right. 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 you know, and, um, and the complexity and the miracle um, of, of bringing um, someone else into the world. So, so, yeah, there was so much there. And I think, you know, talking to Julia about what inspired the script for her was really when she herself became a mother um, and she felt so creative, you know, it wasn't um, like how she had probably been socially conditioned to understand that everything sort of powers down and you sort of, you know, everything sort of goes into standby mode. You know, she definitely felt more creative um, since motherhood. So I think that was that was definitely an element of the, the storytelling, too. So, Gugu, you, you're now 20 years in the game now, and you're still <laughs> relatively young, which means you started very young. Um, mm-hmm. You accomplished a lot, and, and I guess 20 years would be a small window of time. Um, <laughs> as you kind of look at your career right now, mm-hmm. what, what, what's next for you? Because I, I, I was laughing when you were talking about the superhero thing because I'm like, yeah, this could be a good audition. Marvel can always call you or DC can call you because you have shown <laughs> that you can handle some level of ability. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but what, what, I, I know you've got several films that are in post-production. Um, So what else is next for you? What would you like to do uh, that hasn't been offered to you yet or you may have to create it for yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's something that has always inspired me, you know, working with someone like Ava DuVernay, you know, she would always say, you know, it's not about knocking on doors, you have to build your own house, you know, and I think for me, certainly, you know, there haven't always been conventional roles for me to just step into those shoes, you know, I've had to sometimes make choices where, you know, I'm the first one playing this kind of character or, you know, and, and for me, that's, that's always interesting to play those pioneering characters. So, you know, historically, I'm looking at a couple of projects that, you know, are about um, pioneering um, women in the world, you know, um, and and that's really exciting for me. Um, and I, I always like to do something that's, you know, different to what I've done before. So, um, you know, I just finished, I'm just finishing up a, a TV series at the moment and I'm going off to do a period drama um, in the summer, you know, so, so there's, there's, there's a lot of, of different options. So, so for me, it's, it's always about, you know, having a contrast to the previous thing. <laughs> now, I've got to get this one question in. Um, I, that mm. episode that you guys did on Black Mirror, I oh, yeah. thought that, that I mean, it, it stood out from, so, it was so different from what a lot of those programs, a lot of those episodes were. Um, mm. And I know you've talked about this in the past, but t- what, how has that impacted you as it relates to the acclaim that you received for that work that you did on that project? And how has that kind of not I don't know I don't know if it's focused you but how is it giving you more of a, a, a POV as you look at the type of work that you want to do 
Yeah, I mean, that Black Mirror episode, Sanjina Perry, was just so special from start to finish, you know, and I have to credit Charlie Brooker, the show's creator and writer, for just creating this incredibly unique story, you know, in this vibrant world. Um, for me, you know, it was um, really an awakening in terms of understanding the representation of um, LGBTQ plus characters on, on screen um, and understanding, you know, the, the, the need to sort of celebrate a happy ever after love story in a somewhat sort of, um, you know, sci-fi world of, of Black Mirror, although even Black Mirror sort of transcends sci-fi, but that it was optimistic, right. you know, that it was emotional, that it wasn't tra tragic. It wasn't making their love story, you know, this tragic, sad issue-based problem you know it was celebrating um their love and and the joy you know even though it was emotional um so so for me you know it's just really understanding the power of of storytelling and that that people want to be seen and 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 represented and um yeah it makes me it makes me think about my choices for sure you know i, I think um and feel really privileged and grateful to have stories that touch people all right, and my final question. Uh, you talked earlier about working with Ava DuVernay. You've also worked mm. with another friend of mine, Gina Prince-Bitewood, when oh, you did Beyond Gina's the Light. Oh, my soul sister. <laughs> yes. yes. Now, I know that she announced that she, uh, the Untamed uh, State, she wanted you yes. to, to kind of take the lead in that. I'm, I'm yeah. understanding. Are you still attached to that? And is that going I'm still to attached. start production? It's in the works. She's filming another movie first, so um, that's why yeah. it's been slightly delayed. But it's it's still very much happening. Um, yeah, and I was just emailing with her yesterday. She's in she's in London right now. So so we're still in touch about the project. Don't worry. <laughs> and I'm thinking and I'm thinking about Ava. I'm thinking about. Um, uh, Gina, you also worked with Amasante before. So you now have you always sought out these women directors, or is it just is, are these projects that just feel right for you? Yeah, I mean, when I started, really, you know, certainly my first lead in film was with Belle, with Ama Asante. And, you know, that was such a unique story and really something I felt very close to uh, and a story that needed to be told. And, and for me, it just so happened that Ama was a woman who was directing it. But, but you know, I think oftentimes it has been um, female directors that have given me the most nuanced, complex characters and certainly the most nuanced complex leading roles um that's just how it's worked out but i think you know for me it's also about point of view you know and i'm very interested in the female gaze um you know a lot of projects that i have coming up you know really explore you know the traditional world view from a woman's perspective and i think that's really exciting for me because that's you know the big conversation in our culture over the last couple of years you know post me too um you know with times up and the women's movement i think you know it's really exciting that women are really finding their voices and awakening to the power that that, that they do have to express themselves well, Google, I want to thank you for giving me some of your time today. And for folks thank at home, you. Fast Color is in theaters on April 19th. Go out there and support this film. Google, thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again in the near future and continued success. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Wendell Pierce, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Film Gordon.
All right, and welcome back to our show. Uh, coming up a little later on in the show, we're going to be talking Fast Color, Google Mabatha Raw's new film opening this week. But before we get to that, man, this next guest is a guy I have known, yeah. God, 30 years now? E easily, man. Easily. Man, 30, 30 years, years. 30 DC Legends. Film Fest DC is uh, back. Uh, it's that time of year again for the Washington, D.C. International Film Festival. It kicks off April the 25th through May the 5th. The founder is in the building. Hey, hey. You know how they say, in the building. <laughs> Tony Gittins is here. I, I, man, oh. I was so fo looking forward to talking to you, man, because, man, we've done this a bunch of times a over bunch the of years, times, man. And it changes every time. Man, brother, welcome back, man. Good to see you, Tim. Man, I'm glad. I said you. So I told you when I came in, you got a studio and mics and stuff, man. I'm, I'm man, impressed. Look, I'm going to follow brother, you, man. You're brother, my inspiration. Brother, you were there when it wasn't oh, like this, no, man. Oh, no, no, man. People don't know what it takes to, you know, keep man. grinding and, and getting the word out. Man, we like I was in. saying, Like I was telling you, this is true. You know, we talk to a lot of people, but mm. you know what you're talking about. Thank you, sir. You know, there are a lot of interviews and, and a lot of young people who just came on the scene. They think they But I know when I talk to you, you know, you've been there. You know the films. You take your time to watch and think about right. what you're watching, man. So we really appreciate that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that, man. So let's just jump into it, man. You yeah. got 80 films, man. I mean, so we got a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> So I see your opening night film this year. I always love what love to look at what you're opening with and what you're closing with, and mm. then some of the highlights that are in between. Ladies in Black, man, this is a. Uh, and, and, and before I begin, let me just for the audience because we talk about a lot of film festivals on the show. Talk a little bit about uh, the, the 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 kind of the theme of your festival because you know there's all these different festivals that we talk to people. You know the environmental festival or this mm -hmm. festival. Your festival features primarily what? We feature international films, films from around the world, documentaries, feature right. films, shorts, comedies, thrillers, the, the best films we can find that have been made in the last year or so uh, to bring to Washington, D.C. That, that might not even get exposure here, that if we don't do it, the film might not be shown here in the district. Uh, so that's what we do. But I'd like to point out that we were the first film festival in D.C., that we were the ones who showed that it could be successful, and as a result, a number of other festivals have appeared. And uh, it, it makes the district a very rich place for people who are, are film buffs, who don't want to just limit their diet of films to the uh, the uh, commercial things out of Hollywood um, and want to find more interesting, challenging, uh, and entertaining uh, films, that we're the place where, where you can find that. All right, now here's a good question for you, Tony. As the city dynamics have changed drastically from the time that you began this festival in the mid-'80s to now, does that help you more that the city is becoming more diverse and you're bringing them international fare? Uh, well, it... Yes, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, the people who are moving into the district, um, they want entertainment and they like going out. Uh, they're a younger audience, and uh, we try to find films that they will find interesting. But we still have this very steady audience of uh, people who have lived in the district for a while who, as I pointed out, uh, don't want to see, watch television solely and go down to the multiplex solely. And these are people who also uh, read... Uh, read books that might not be on the New York Times bestseller list, who tend to eat on uh, eat at restaurants where the food, uh, the quality of the food is a bit higher. 
they're people who uh, have gone to college or like learning, like being exposed to new things, aren't afraid of uh, other cultures, want to learn about other cultures. Uh, these are the folks who come. And so no matter whether they're new Washingtonians or have been here for a while, uh, when we look out, when I look out at the audience, that's who I see out there. And also, uh, just to add this, that uh, we are the most diverse film festival in the district. Uh, and we make an effort to reflect that in our programming. I love how you say New Washingtonians. Is, well, that, what, is that what we call them now? Well, well you know, I've, I've come to understand that <laughs> life goes on, that uh, uh, the people change, they move out of the city, they die, they get older, and new people take their place, just like we took the place of folks who were there before us. So that's just the way it goes, and there's no stopping it, and one has to figure out a way to make it work for you, or otherwise you're going to be... Uh, uh, you know, angry all the time or um, just uncomfortable. And and so long as folks don't cause us a whole lot of problems, welcome. All right, man. Look, you got the last word. I'm going to leave that alone. We'll, we can, talk uh, off, yeah. we'll talk off Mike about my anger issues. Okay, not yours. <laughs> With the district, You're not the man. only one, man. All right, man. So here we go, Tony. Opening night this Thursday. Yeah. Or, sorry, next Thursday coming up. April 25th, Ladies in Black, man. Yes, this yes. Is, this has got... Julia Orman, I see in it. Um, I can't pronounce this other woman's last name, so I'm not going to mess it up. But directed by Bruce Barefoot, yes, who did yeah. Driving Miss Daisy, Tender Mercies. Uh, talk a little bit about why you selected this as your opening night film. The opening night film is always the toughest for us to select because mm -hmm. the audience that comes to opening night has certain expectations, and a number of people who might come to opening night might not show up for anything else. And, and we want it to be... Um, somewhat of indicative of what our feel for what the film world is like today. So this is a film about women. Hmm. This is a film about women, young women who are Australian women, the challenges they face in their work. Uh, there's also a coming of age story there. There's also a bit about immigration there. But it's about women. And this, a, a lot of what's in the media, especially in the work that we do in the media uh, film world, um, have been pointing out that there has been a paucity. There's not been, have not been a lot of women films. Uh, and we wanted to open with one to show that, uh, you know, we're, we're in keeping uh, with the spirit of giving women uh, more presence in, on the screen. All right, that sounds good. So I looked at some of your, you have highlights listed on your site. Uh, you have a collection of films uh, that you've named Food Flick this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've seen from year to year, which what I like about what you guys do, that you kind of build your themes around what you have as opposed to these are our blanket themes, and yes. we're just going to fit that stuff in. You're absolutely. You, I, so, I tell you, this guy knows what he's talking <laughs> Dude, about. I mean, I'm telling this festival no, it's since true. the '80s, it's man. True. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's true, man. Because right. and and with we we noticed in our research that there were a number of very good food films, films about food, about chefs, about restaurants, uh, and we noticed them. So we brought them together in about uh, six films we call food flicks, and they're films about Michelin stars. And what's really interesting about them. Um, one, if you're a food person, if you're what a, what's called a foodie, this is the section for you. If you like to watch food porn, if you want to <laughs> learn recipes, but more, I'm not one of those folks. Right. My wife is, but I'm not one of those folks. But if, if you, what's really interesting to me is the character of the chefs themselves. That these are hardworking guys who put everything on the line 
making dishes and food. And if the folks who have restaurants, what it takes to run and maintain a restaurant is, is shown here in these films. And then you have the whole Michelin star phenomena, that what does it take to get a Michelin star? And in one of the films, they talk about uh, the folks who decide whether your restaurant is going to get and what it means to you and what it means to you if you lose your Michelin star. Wow. So the drama goes beyond just eating. It goes into what it takes to run a business, who are these people people, these driven people uh, who do this kind of work. Um, right. I found it just fascinating on that level. Alright, and we are talking to the founder of Film Fest DC. It is Tony Giddens in studio with us. You've got George Pelicanos, who I saw at the festival a couple of years ago with a short that he did. He's coming back with DC Noir. George is, uh, most people know him for um, his books. He's written like 21 books. Right. Uh, most of them thrillers based in Washington, D.C. He was born and bred in Washington, D.C. I've known George for, for many years before he became uh, famous. But he also worked on The Deuce and on The Wire. Right. Uh, he's a writer. He has a real sense for the grit of of these communities uh, and he made this new film called DC Wire. Um, a lot of the folks involved in it are DC, it's a DC crew it's about DC and we get to show it first here in Washington DC. George will be coming in and talking about making the film. All right. Now, also another big segment, another big film that's a highlight. We just saw Green Book win Best Picture. Uh, you have a 19-minute short called Traveling Wild Black, which actually takes place in a landmark D.C. restaurant or, or eatery that was actually listed in the Green Book. Back in the 1950s, Ben's Chili Bowl. Ben's Chili Bowl. Talk a little bit about Traveling Wild Black. Traveling Wild Black is um, a virtual reality film, mm. uh, which means it's not going to be shown up on the screen when the person, the, the audience comes in, they're given these goggles, these these uh, mm. head, headsets that go on, and they, they're looking at it. 360, I don't know if folks if I've had this experience I have, it's quite amazing. 360 degrees, and it's a film about, as you point out, Ben's Chili Bowl and its role as a safe place in the Green Book. Um, and we're having it at Ben's, and Virginia Ali will be there, and some of the folks involved with the film are going to be there. We have all these headsets that people come, can come in and, and try it, and it's a new experience for them. Uh, we're glad to be able to offer it in here in Washington with our festival. So I was waiting for you to tell me how many years you've known Virginia Ali. Oh, and, many years. I mean, I've known him oh, 20 years. Yes. I've worked yeah, with Kamal and, yep, yep. Yeah, and Nizam. Yep. Yeah, yep. man. Yep. Wow. Yep. So that, I can't wait for that. That's a good one, man. That's yeah. a good one. So we've got a couple of minutes left, man. You got any other highlights or anything you want to share that will entice people to get out and support Film Fest DC this year? Uh, well, one is something new we're trying. There's a film called Echo in the Canyon, and this is okay. a film about, it's a music film, and it's a music film about the uh, the period, probably the early 70s in California, where with the rise of groups like the Mamas and the Papas, the Birds, the Beach Boys, um, and it's about them, and the interviews are just amazing. So it's a music film, there's a lot of music in it, but after the uh, the film, we're going to do a concert. And so we have uh, Jacob Dylan coming in, um, uh, Cat Power, a number of these, these stars of this era who know how to sing this music, and it's going to be at the Lincoln Theater. It's going to be an incredible uh, experience. It's taken us a long time to pull this together, and we think it'll be very, very special. Tony, let me, let me just share this with you, man. As a person now who is in this space that's programming a festival and a person who has known you for a number of years, 
the way that you have constantly taken this this clay that is Film Fest DC and molded it from year to year to make it work for audiences and understanding all the work that it takes in order to do it. Brother, my hat is off of you, and I don't even have a hat on. Man, this well, sounds like this is amazing, Tony. Well, it, it takes a year to pull together. Right. It takes a year to pull together, and I'm glad you're in, on the other side of this now, doing film festivals, <laughs> so you do understand it. Uh, but what, that's what keeps us going. Each, every festival is different than the previous festival. There may have been no two festivals that's the same. We have to recreate it every single year and even though that's a challenge but it's always being introduced to new films new filmmakers new themes you know um films that that reflect the reality of today and and historical it it, it's uh it's it's really uh one last thing about putting it together and it takes everything you have towards the end to do it. There are too many things in life that take everything you have to do it. I mean, I don't talk to my wife. I don't talk, you know, <laughs> and everybody who's working on that has right, the same right, right, thing. Right. So there's the experience of the festival. And one, let me just say one last thing about this, that there is, um, um, over the years that we've been doing the festival, uh, the industry has changed. Now streaming is the thing. And so people can easily stay home and watch Netflix and Hulu and watch films there. They need not go to movie theaters. Right. They spend more time at home watching films. And it's caused some disruption. Uh, but we found that people still love going to the movies with other people. They love coming to the festival, you know, to stand in line and to have conversations with people about to see film after film after film in an intense way. Uh, That will never go away. People love getting together. So as long as that's the case, we'll keep doing the festival. Tell people how they can get tickets to Film Fest DC. Uh, Everything that uh, uh, all the information, the details, you can go to our website, filmfestdc.org, filmfestdc.org. It's all there. It's all there, all the dates, the notes about the film, how to get tickets. Uh, We're reasonable at $14 general admission. Um, So uh, if if you... like films, if you like movies, if you like stories, you might not even like film, but if you like stories, again, our festival is a place for you. April 25th through May the 5th here in the nation's capital, Tony Giddens, it is always a pleasure, brother. Uh, always we a pleasure will, seeing you, man. We will talk again, I'm assuming, during the festival and definitely in here next year. Very good. I look forward to it. Look All forward right, to it. Always Tony. a pleasure. All right, brother. Well, for me as well. I guess you know me well. I don't like winter. I seem to get a kick out of doing your call Oh, what the hell, you're always surrendered What's this strange relationship that we hold on to? Baby, I just can't stand to see you happy More than that, I hate to see you sad Honey, if you love me, I just might do something right Self-respect you never had. I took you for a ride. All right, and welcome back to the show. And this week's reviews are brought to you by thefilmgordon.com. Experience film through the eyes of a true film addict, yours truly. Check out all of our film content at thefilmgordon.com. And there is a slew of films opening this weekend. We're reviewing one. 
All right. We're reviewing one. And of course, that movie is Fast Color. But before we get to the review, let us cue the music. Now, Fast Color is a sci-fi drama directed by Julia Hart from a screenplay by Hart and Jordan Horowitz. It stars Google Mabatha Raw, Lorraine Toussaint, Sanaya Sidney, Christopher Denham, and David Stratham. And it tells the story, as I said at the top, of a young lady who has a very special gift and the people who seem, who want to control that gift and in by extension, her as well. Let's listen to a clip from Fast Color. What do they look like? You don't know? I've never seen them. Why not? I don't know. I just can't. Hasn't Bo told you what they look like? I think she wants to hear it from you. Um, after you put back together whatever it is you took apart, everyone sees this object, but you see the colors. It's like an after effect, an echo. Suddenly, there are all these colors moving over everything fast like a race. How does it feel? Really warm. It's like when you're about to cry, but you're happy. All righty. In this film, um, I would I would hasten to say that it presents a world or it presents a persona that we are not familiar with in major motion pictures. And that is an African-American woman or a woman of color who has a supernatural gift and is on the run. Now, this woman in question is her name is Ruth, played by Mabatha Raw. And Ruth is on the run. Uh, there's an incident that happens earlier in the film that she's able to do something supernaturally using her mind, and it has scared the powers that be. Um, she is taken in by a kindly stranger who later reveals himself to be the member of the government who basically understands what her gift is and would hope to bring her in so that they can test her, albeit to control her. She escapes and she's on the run. She gets back home to her mother, played by the the amazing Lorraine Toussaint. And we also find out that Mabatha Raw's Ruth has a daughter named Lily, played by Sanaya Sidney. And Sidney has some gifts of her own. Now, what I will say about this movie, when I started off by saying it's something that we haven't seen before, we're accustomed to seeing, you know, we've seen mutants in the X-Men, you know, people who can use their mind and do some impressive things. We've watched both DC and Marvel and the cinematic, in each of their cinematic universes uh, show us these super characters, but we rarely see a regular ordinary human being that possesses that sort of an ability that is on display in this film. And it's an absolutely amazing thing. Um, As you heard me say in the interview earlier that we played that um, 
stop. The interview that we plan won't be in this show. It'll, it, was, it wasn't a show. Damn. All right, hold on a second. Three, two, one. As you heard us say in the interview that we played early today, um, I thought that it was a wonderful audition for Mabatha Raw to get her a space either in the DC or the Marvel universes as a superhero character. I thought she was fantastic. And also, I was impressed by the amount of range that Mabatha Raw displays here. We've seen her playing a period piece in Bell. We've seen her as a Beyonce as pop star in Beyond Lights. Um, I've seen her kind of play like a kind of a goofy offbeat character in Larry Crown. I've seen Google Mabatha Raw, you know, as a super spy in um, the television show. I can't remember the name of it with Bars Kojo. Um, so I've seen this sister in a variety of different roles and her range just kind of astounds me. This is a stripped down performance Robotha Raw doing her thing. Uh, the lovely Lorraine Toussaint, who brings, as she said in the interview, some gravitas to this role as the mother. And then we later find out that she's not just the mother in this film. Now, Fast Color, unfortunately, is a film that is a small little indie. And, you know, we've talked earlier in the show about, you know, films like Endgame that are going to come and just like swallow up the box office. It's a film that I think that deserves an audience. I'm just not sure that it will have an audience in the theaters. This might be a film that will play much better on home DVD or on streaming services at some point later on. But I don't think a lot of people honestly are going to get a chance to see this film unless they go see it this weekend. If you don't see it this weekend, it's going to be a little tight for you checking it out. But I like this film a lot. I gave it a B plus. Um, I thought that uh, Google Batha Raw, who anchors this story, Lorraine Toussaint, Sanaya Sidney, uh, David Straithern, I think his name is pronounced, Straithern, Straithan, uh, is pretty good in this film. Fast Color, wonderful sci-fi addition to the, addition to the canon of films and another feather in the cap for Google Mabatha Raw. Now, as we tell you guys, you know, basically, I was going to say, that's all I got for this week. Hold on a second. Stop. Let's redo that one again. I said, how did, how did I come out of that? Did that come out good? Yeah. yeah. And I'm talking about when I said came out of that, like we gave it a B plus, boom. Right. It came out. Okay, so we can top it there. So I'm going to go. All right. So let me go. Three, two, one. All right. And that's all I got for this week, man. So on behalf of our producer. Okay. Got it. Damn. <laughs> so I had to look right at it. I was like. Oh, yeah. All right. Hold on a second. Three, two, one. All right. That's all I got for this week, man. And uh, on behalf of our producer, Shane Lewis, and associate producer, Charles Kirkland, as I tell you guys in closing every week, man, please see something good at the movies this week. I've given you the choice this week, man. Please see it before Endgame hits, because if you don't, it's going to be hard to find it. Until next week, I'm Tim Gordon. I'm out. <laughs>